do come to the last of our sermon series in 2 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 4 today, and we come to the end of the road for Paul. Our message contains the last words that we have recorded from the Apostle Paul. And though I don't think necessarily this is his most important teaching, I do believe that Paul has some rather profound things to say for us this morning as he teaches Timothy, and as he teaches us, let us not skip over or pass by these words of personal greeting so quickly. Let us hear them with fresh ears and now turn our attention to this passage. I'll read verses 9 through the end of chapter 4 in 2 Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Lord, be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I want us to stop for a moment this morning to think about a few questions, each of us, and to try to answer them as honestly and sincerely as we can. So I ask right now, as of this moment, do you have enough time? feel like you have enough time to do what you want or to do what you need? Do you feel like you have enough time with your family? Do you feel like you have enough money? Would you say that you have enough popularity or esteem or respect, you know, the, the likes of our social media world? Maybe for our students and young people out there, Do you think that you have enough autonomy? Can you make enough of your own decisions for yourself? I wonder if we remember what Paul said right before he penned those famous words. You probably could finish the sentence. I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. I wonder if we remember what Paul writes just before those words in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned in what? 
situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and want, abundance and need. I can do all things. See, I think if we're being honest and answering these questions, simple and straightforward though they may be, we struggle with them and wrestle with them daily. At least I do. That's partly what Paul wants to impress again upon Timothy, this young man who's his apprentice. Our passage in 2 Timothy 4, I think, shows us two things today. First, we will see that the gospel takes our whole life. And second, we'll see that the gospel takes the whole church. So we see in the first part of our passage that the gospel takes our whole life. Look with me again at Paul's first words here to Timothy in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. Paul demonstrates in these words that the gospel will bid us to go to places that we may not expect, that we may not plan for ourselves. And there's a definite contrast here in these opening verses between Timothy and this man, Demas, that Paul talks about. Demas was in love with this present world. The implication then is that he was unwilling to go where the gospel would have him to go. He was unwilling to alter his plans and his ambitions. He wanted to go to Thessalonica. He wanted to desert Paul more than sticking to the mission of the gospel. Paul then highlights several examples of people who have been displaced for the church. Those who have gone faithfully as they are sent. And he finally explains in verse 12 that he himself is sending Tychicus to Ephesus in order to bear this very letter that we are reading and studying. The implied mission then is that as Tychicus goes to Ephesus, he will remain and take Timothy's place. He will pick up Timothy's ministry as Timothy comes to Rome to be with Paul. Let's pause here for a brief moment. Let's really take in the gravity of this situation. Paul is requesting that Timothy would leave his home and his family and travel nearly 1,500 miles to Rome. And this journey would have lasted for nearly a month. It would have cost about half a year's salary. Let's not forget that Paul's sending Tychicus, so it's it's a two-way problem. It's doubly costly, and, and neither of these men would have known at the outset of their journey that they would ever return home. Well, that's a sacrifice for the gospel, for the church, for God's people. But Paul continues in our passage. He instructs Timothy to bring to him what would be his last material possessions. His choices here, I think, shed light on what Paul prioritizes for the few remaining days that he would be alive. Notice he's not concerned with material pleasures. He doesn't want to enjoy some special last meal before his execution. No, he wants his books. Oh, and Timothy, bring that cloak that I left in Troas, and bring my writing materials. See, Paul's solely concerned with staying alive through the winter in order that he might be of more service to God. 
copies of his scriptures and pour himself over them and continue his writing ministry just as he's writing to Timothy and to the Ephesus church. He wants to continue encouraging God's people even until the very last breath is in his body. Verses 14 through 16 show us the last way that we might think of the gospel taking our whole life. Paul demonstrates his willingness in these verses to be put to shame, to be ostracized from the community for the sake of Jesus. He cites the example of this man, Alexander the coppersmith. We don't know very much about him, but Paul says that he does a great harm to him. Why do we see this animosity? Why is Paul citing this in our passage It's not because of who Paul is or even necessarily what he has done. Notice what he says to Timothy as he warns him about this man because he strongly opposed our message. You and I know what that message is. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message that salvation, that redemption comes in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. This man is likely done great harm to Paul, much like our own brother in our our own days, suffering even now. You've heard of Andrew Brunson, a a missionary sent out from the States who's imprisoned in Turkey. He's been in prison for over 18 months, and he had another hearing this past Monday. And that trial at Monkey Court brought all kinds of witnesses before him, even secret witnesses that no one else could hear, slandering him. Wasn't allowed to bring a single witness to his defense. They silenced all who had lined up to bring a defense that this man is not some terrorist. He's not seeking to overthrow any governments. And you see, in Paul's case, it's even worse. No one even attempts to defend him. He says that all have deserted him. He's being dragged through the mud and muck of life. There's no one there to help. He is completely alone. I wonder if you've ever felt this way. Maybe you're feeling that way today. If so, what's the remedy? How can any of us bear up under that kind of persecution? How can any of us really deal with this kind of rejection from the world or maybe even from our own family and friends? would take so much from us. Dear friends, I want you to hear the heart of the gospel this morning. Learn what Paul has learned here from God before realizing this cost of discipleship. We must first see what the Lord has done for us. Verses 17 and 18, Paul says, But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. All the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, God had delivered Paul. Paul is confident even that the Lord will always rescue him. Let's be careful here. 
Paul does not mean that the Lord is necessarily going to spring him from jail. He's already said before in the letter that his end has come. His time for departure has come. He knows that he will be executed by the hands of the Romans, even in this imprisonment. He's not wishing or longing for escape from imprisonment or from execution. And this is the heartbeat of the gospel, that the Lord can deliver him even through death, even beyond death. It's what Paul has already explained to the Philippian church, the, the same people that he wrote those famous words, that he could do all things through Christ. Hear what he says in chapter 3. A little bit before those famous words, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. is everything. The free gift of salvation is all that we need in this life. Paul's teaching Timothy and us that God requires nothing of us for salvation. Notice very carefully his words. He says, it's not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. From what we do or what we accomplish, it's a free gift of God. Because we receive all that we need from God, we are then free to give up our life, to give up all that we have in this world. I put it this way. When you feel and know that you have enough, that you are enough in the sight of God, then and only then, service, as Paul says, that he's already being poured out as a drink offering to the people of God. When you feel and know that you have enough, that you are enough, then and only then can you live a life for the gospel, a life where you're willing to go wherever the gospel requires, a life in which you're willing to give up even everything that you own, quite literally the things that you own life in which you are content and supported by the Lord, even if you are abandoned by everyone else. So I ask you again, do you have enough? The answer is no in your heart. I plead with you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. The gospel takes our whole life, but through it, we can be free to live a life for Christ, for His church, even to the very last days that we're alive. No one here is too old to serve. There's always
somebody something that we can give because we've been given so much in God. But Paul ends our passage in, in his letter with a few more encouraging words. He impresses upon Timothy one last time that the gospel also takes the whole church. I think we all desperately need to hear this point again this morning. Christianity is not an individual sport. We are a team. More than that, we are a family. Even the family of God himself, his own household, as the scriptures would teach us. Here again, verses 19 through 22. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. In these closing words, we see a beautiful picture of the Christian church at work. The Christian church devoting itself to the ministry of the word. You know, we've already met Prisca, or Priscilla, and Aquila this morning in our first reading. In Acts 18, Luke there highlights that this couple traveled to Corinth to help Paul on his first missionary journey. As he comes to Corinth, he meets them and realizes that they're of the same trade, that they're, they're both tent makers. And they even let him stay in their home. And they give him a job. They provide for all that he needs that he might devote himself to the ministry of the gospel. We even see in Romans 16 that this couple is said, and I'm not paraphrasing, they said to risk their necks for his life. Paul owes his life to this couple. And they also hosted a local congregation in their home. What a vital and important connection Paul has with this couple as they provide for Christ's church, for his ministry in so many ways. This might sound a little overwhelming for you. Maybe you're not ready to, to go all in like that. I think we see something else important for the church as well. Notice the other names that Paul mentions here at the end of chapter 4. Eubulus and Pudens and Linus and Claudia brothers and sisters, all sending greetings from ordinary believers in the church. What's fascinating about this is that the, the churches and the church were connected even across vast distances and even in the ancient world. There were emails. There was no Snapchat or Twitter. This would have taken months to get to the church. just like you, sitting in the pew. We see here in these verses that their service, these regular saints, as it were, their service was a vital part of the ministry of the Word, of Paul's ministry, of, of Timothy's ministry. It could not be accomplished without regular saints in the church. That's the beauty of the Christian faith beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not propped up by celebrity or fame or popularity. Oh, 
And some churches want us to think that all of us. It's a mega church. It's got a pastor. Man, he's incredible. That's not what Christianity is about. Each and every member of the body is essential to God for him to accomplish his mission. Think about that. The God of the universe is carrying out the most daring rescue that mankind has ever known. Even more amazing and awesome than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I know I love my superhero comic book movies. But that pales in comparison to what you are doing today. To what the church is doing. We are sent into the world that by us and through us people might be saved. That they would come to know Jesus Christ. That those who've never heard his name and have no idea who he is, that you and I might be able to tell them that no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, Jesus Christ can make them alive, can save them, can heal them, can take away any past or present that they may wrestle with. Jesus has chosen to use his church, to use you. That's wonderfully displayed here in our passage by these names that are immortalized in Scripture. What else do we know about these people? They're mentioned nowhere else in the New Testament. They're not mentioned at all in church history. We know nothing more of who they were and what they did. served Jesus Christ and His church. And that is a legacy that you should strive for. That is a life worth living. That even if we're forgotten, if we're just a name on a page in a history book, if we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, then our whole life is worthwhile. That anything we've done will last into eternity for the glory of God. Look about that. Simple little things that you may do this week will bear out with eternal consequences. So I wonder, again, if you've thought lately about what it is that you have to give, what it is that you have to offer. Maybe you're too concerned with the things of the world at this moment. Your job, the money, the family. Maybe you too just need a reminder of the goodness of the gospel. God has given you everything that you need and He can free you that you might serve Him with your whole life. Or maybe you, you are so grateful for the God of grace, for His love in Christ, but you still don't see yourself as valuable. Maybe you're wondering, what do I have to give to the church? I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm not an elder or a deacon. What, what can I do? I'm here to tell you this morning, God wants to use you. Just as He used Eubulus and Putin's and Linus and Claudia and Paul and Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila. 
good thing for us to remember, right? We could fall into that temptation. Well, our children and young people, they're the church of tomorrow. Beloved, they are the church of today. God wants to use each and every one of you to accomplish his mission. He has a calling for your life. God wants to use you and me to further the ministry of the word, the message of salvation that should go out, as Paul says, to all the nations. That everyone would hear of the grace of God, the free gift of salvation in Christ. Remember, this is the ministry that Paul is dying for. These are his last words. We have no other word from him other than the tradition that he was executed shortly after writing this letter. Are you willing to give up your life in order to serve Christ and his church today, not tomorrow? Not in 10 years, not maybe someday, but today, are you willing to serve God? If you are, may the Lord be with your spirit. May His grace be with you all. Let's pray.